Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, It's Complicated. All right, well, if we're all honest here this morning, we would all have to admit that life in a fallen world, well, it's complicated, right? I mean, we, we, we always encounter these problems almost every single day of our lives. There's big problems, middle-sized problems, and then there's these large problems that we go through. There's problems that we deal with at work. There's problems that we deal with at school. There's problems that we deal with at home. There's problems even that we deal with at church. And so there's interpersonal problems that we deal with, right, with with family members, there's issues, with friends, there's issues, with coworkers, there's more issues. Not just that, but there's these general problems that we deal with, right? The car breaks down, the AC goes out when it's 90 degrees outside, um, uh, the, the laptop crashes right in the middle of a project that we're working on. Um, there's all these problems, and of course, um, there's serious problems in life. Like when a loved one's in the hospital suffering, or a loved one passes away, or, or somebody that we know and love gets into a severe accident, or, listen to this, we don't know a lot about this in America right now, but those brothers and sisters of ours who are suffering persecution, did you know this? Today. All around the world, we can't forget them. We're so blessed in the United States of America that we can gather together freely, right? And, and, and the government's like, it's okay, you can gather together, you can worship the Lord, we're not gonna interfere at all. We're so grateful that we can uh, pay police officers to come and to stand in our parking lot and at our doors and protect us. Can you thank the police officers for what they do? I wanna clap with that as well. We're so blessed in America, right, to be able to have this freedom to do this, but did you know right now in China, that they have to go to church in an underground way and that right now pastors like me and pastors' wives are being arrested and Christians are being thrown in prison and they're even being tortured. This year, 2018, I read an article in the Washington Times that uh, documents um, all the persecution that's been going on in places like China. And so life, ladies and gentlemen, in a fallen world is filled with problems. And it was the same way 2,000 years ago. All right, so in our passage today, the disciples, they're going to face a big problem. And listen to this, they're not gonna handle it very well. So that's the bad news. The disciples encounter a problem, but they drop the ball, they don't handle it very well. The good news is that we're gonna be able to glean some principles today from the negative response of the disciples to their problem. We're gonna be able to glean some principles today to know how to correctly handle life's problems. We're gonna be able to glean some principles today to know what to do, how to respond when life is complicated. All right, so probably three or four weeks ago, I can't remember now, we left off in verse 29, so today we're picking it up now in verse 30, and so Mark chapter six, verse 30, it says that the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And so if you remember, back in verses seven through 13, Jesus had sent the apostles out two by two to go throughout the whole region of Galilee and preach the word of God 
perform miracles, and announce that the kingdom of God had come. And so they went out and they did that. If you want a, a, a more thorough um, story about what happened there, you can read the other synoptic gospels, but suffice it to say this morning that they came back and now they're ready to give a report to the Lord who empowered them and sent them out. And they're excited because one of the other gospels says that they come back from this missionary tour and they're like, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. They can't believe that Christ has given them this power and they're able to do supernatural things. And so they're, they're, they're excited, but they're also very tired. The missionary journey must have taken a, a physical and emotional toll on these guys because now it says, look at verse 31, and Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place, a remote area, and what's the next three words? Rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. That's what you call a busy season of ministry. Verse 32, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And so it had been a very busy season for the apostles. They're excited about what it was accomplished during the missionary tour, but they're tired, they're worn out. And so Jesus is there and he looks at his 12 men and he says, hey, you wanna get away? And they're like, yeah. And so what do they do? They get in a boat and they start to sail across the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. They're headed to a place, a remote area, a desolate area near the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. The reason I know that is because I checked out Luke this week and I found out in Luke, this parallel story, that they're headed up to the area of Bethsaida. Bethsaida, of course, being at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And so they're off on vacation and this was supposed to be a time of rest and renewal, but something happens that postpones their time off. And that can be found now in verse 33. It says, now many saw them. Okay, so picture it in your mind's eye. Many people on the shore of the Sea of Galilee saw Jesus and the disciples. They saw them going and they recognized them. And this always blows me away every time I see this. And they, what's the word? Ran. <laughs> can you see this? And they ran there on foot. Ran where? That area around Bethsaida, the wilderness, desolate area. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. And so as Jesus and the disciples were in their boat, headed off for their holiday, many people on the shore, they, they spotted them and they're like, there's Jesus, look, there's Jesus, I see him, let's go. And they literally started to run around the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. You've heard of the Boston Marathon? This is the Holy Land Marathon right here. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of people and they're running and the finish line is wherever Jesus was going. And so again, put yourself there, imagine it. There's Jesus and the 12 apostles, they're, they're coming up on the boat to the shore and they look and here's a huge crowd, right? They're probably breathing heavy, holding their sides because they've been running and they're like, Jesus, Jesus. There's always a crowd waiting for Jesus. 
Now, how did the Lord respond as he's in the boat approaching the shore? Did he say, hey, Peter, quick, turn the boat around. <laughs> We're not gonna let them mess with our vacation. Is that how he responded? Did he put on some sunglasses and a hat, some down in his seat, you know, so no one can recognize him? I want you to look at how Jesus responded, and I want you to remind yourself of why we love him so much. Look at verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had, what's the word? Compassion. Compassion. I, I underlined that in my Bible, because sometimes when I don't feel the Lord's presence, and I think he's a million miles away, I gotta go back to passages like this, where the word compassion is underlined, and I've gotta remind myself of how the Lord feels about me, no matter how I'm feeling in the moment. And so it says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And so instead of getting cranky because the crowds were there trying to steal his time away, his time off, the Lord has compassion on these people. And the reason he has compassion is the Bible says he, he said it's like they're sheep without a shepherd. And so what does a good shepherd do for his sheep? He feeds them. And so that's exactly what Jesus does in this passage. It says that he taught them many things. He feeds the flock of God, the word of God. And as Jesus is teaching the people, the disciples, well, they notice it's getting late. That's what it says now in verse 35. It says, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and, and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And so when faced with 10,000 hungry people here, and by the way, I didn't tell you, how, how large was this crowd that's waiting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee there? Verse 44 tells us that there was 5,000 men. 5,000 men. Okay, that doesn't include women and children. And so a conservative number would be about 10,000 people. You say, well, man, that's, that's a huge crowd. This, when, when Jesus, I mean, think about everything Jesus has done from Mark 1 to Mark 6. This is why the crowds are flocking to him. And so when faced with 10,000 hungry people, the disciples realize we've got a problem here. The, the sun is going down, it's getting late, and we don't have enough food to feed everybody. Now Jesus has been teaching, and I'm just wondering if while Jesus is teaching and the sun is going down, if the disciples stop listening to the Lord and the teaching of the word and they start thinking about how hungry they are and how hungry these 10,000 people must be. And by the way, um, this is easier to preach the first service because you guys just had breakfast. Second service is a little harder because everybody's thinking about going off to lunch and your mind wanders, right, about what could I be doing right now or what could I be eating right now? And so the disciples are talking to one another as Jesus is teaching the, the crowd and they're saying, hey, it's getting late. We're out in this remote area. People are getting hungry. 
The nearest Olive Garden is hours away. You know, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do here, right? And the problem in her head's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so they decide to go to Jesus and give him some advice. Lord, we're in a remote area. The hour is late. Send the people away to find their own food. Now, can you imagine giving the Son of God advice? They, they must have gotten a little cocky because of the successful missionary tour they had been on, right? The demons are subject to us. You know, we, we're so powerful. And so they, whatever it is, they think that they have the right to go to the Son of God and tell him what to do. And I love Jesus' reply to them in verse 37. Look at this. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. I love that. The Lord puts the ball right back in their court. You give them something to eat. I'm sure there's a big pause. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And so it's time now to apply this message to our lives. I wanna remind you of who we are as a church, okay? When, when people wonder, what's Calvary Port St. Lucie all about? By the way, we're just one of a million church, of churches all around the world. We're not in competition with any churches. We're just another church that exalts Jesus Christ and teaches the word of God and loves people. And so when you think about who we are as a church, there's three M's that define us. And so if you've been to Discover Calvary, you've heard this, but our mission is to obey the Great Commission. That's what we're called to do. What's the Great Commission? Jesus said, go and make disciples. Everybody say, make disciples. Okay, and so what's a disciple? A disciple is not a convert. A disciple is a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. And so we're called to help you become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's our sentence. Our model, second M, is the Acts 2 church. And so we think that the Acts 2 church did a great job filled with the Holy Spirit of carrying out the Great Commission, and so we wanna pattern our church after that church. And we know that they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers, and so that's what we try to do here. And so our, mo our model is the Acts 2 church, but the third M, listen to this, what is our message? Our message is the life application verse-by-verse -verse teaching of God's word. Not just the verse-by-verse -verse teaching of God's word, because it's not just my job as a pastor to give you more and more biblical knowledge so that your knowledge increases. No, Jesus wants us to read and heed the word. He wants us to study it and apply it. And so that's why we stress, and we've always stressed, not just verse-by-verse -verse teaching, but life application as we're going through God's word. Does this make sense to you guys? And so for the rest of the message, this is where we are in the Bible, um, we're just gonna apply this now to our lives. And so when faced with 10,000 hungry people in a remote area, the disciples did not respond very well. So the question of the day is, how should we respond when we're faced with a problem? How should we respond when it's complicated? And so what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna give you four ways of how not to respond to problems. And then I wanna give you four ways of how to respond to problems, okay? So if you're taking notes, the first way 
of how not to respond to a problem is that we should never focus on the problem. It's gonna mess you up if you do this. And so here's the disciples, they're out in the remote area, they're faced with 10,000 hungry people and what did they do? They focused on that problem. I don't know if they stopped listening to Jesus' teaching, it doesn't tell us, but they're distracted enough here to go to the Lord and give him some advice. And so they're focusing on the problem. They're, they're like, the sun's going down, people are getting hungry. What are we gonna do? And the problem becomes larger and larger. And before we look down on the disciples, we have to admit that we often do the very same thing in our lives. And by the way, I'm, I'm included with all y'all, okay? A problem comes and what we, what we often do what our flesh does is we focus on that problem, we obsess about that problem, and the more we think about that problem, it's like putting wood on a fire, the fire gets hotter and hotter and larger and larger until it consumes us. And we think about it during the day, and we lie awake at night, we can't sleep, and we're thinking about it during the night. And because we're not getting enough sleep, now we're more susceptible to colds and the flu, and we're getting sick more often, and it's just a, a nasty, um, unending circle of defeat because we're focusing on the wrong thing. And the more that we're focused on the problem, what happens is our life becomes filled with anxiety and irritability and discouragement and for some people, even depression. Okay, and so you might say, well, what should we do? Well, hold off on that because right now I'm just giving you four ways of not to respond to the problems. We'll get to that in a moment. But the second way that we should not respond to life's problems is we should never look to human resources first. Say the word first. Because there's nothing wrong with looking to human resources, but not first. We're children of God. But this is what the disciples did. They're faced with 10,000 hungry people in a remote area, and they look to human resources first. Jesus says, you guys give them something to eat, and their response is, and I quote, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now this story of the feeding of the 5,000, by the way, is found in all four gospels, which by the way is pretty unusual. But in John chapter six, it tells us that Philip is the one who said what he said. Uh, Philip is the one who said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And so can you see Philip? He's got the calculator here. He's counting heads, right? And he's trying to make it all, he's going to human resources first to try to figure it out, what can we do to solve this problem? And before we look down on the disciples, we have to admit that we often do the very same thing. And so we're faced with the problem and we focus on the problem. We're faced with the problem and the first thing we do without even a thought of God is we look to human resources first. If it's a financial problem, we pull out the calculator and we try to make it work out and we're thinking, man, if I can take out the loan here and maybe move my, some of my 401k money and cut back on my giving and call Aunt Maple, maybe she can help, then I can pay these bills. And we go into this, I can fix this mode and we forget that we're children of God. And the third way, how we should never respond to problems, listen to this, this is, this is hard, 
but we should never avoid our problems. When faced with 10,000 hungry people in a remote area, this is exactly what the disciples did. They saw all these people and they're like, man, this is a headache. I don't like this. Lord, send them away. We don't wanna deal with it. We wanna just wipe our hands clean of this problem. And I gotta keep saying it, before we beat up on the disciples, we do the same thing. We're hit with a problem, we focus on it, we look to human resources first, and the next thing you know, we're going to the Lord and we're like, Lord, I don't like this, it's a headache, I'm not a confrontational person, just make this go away. And we want the Lord to kinda take a magic wand and just like put it over our problem and poof, so that we can return to a life of ease and comfort. But how many of you guys understand that God does not always want us to live lives of ease and comfort. And so we're gonna find out later in the message that just the opposite, the Lord wants us to face our problems. He wants us to go through adversity. And I'll I'll explain why here in just a moment. But the fourth way that we should not respond to a problem is we should never tell the Lord what to do. And isn't this what they did? They're looking at the problem, 10,000 hungry people in a remote area, and so they go to the Lord to give him some advice. And before we look down on the disciples, we do the same thing in our own lives so often. We're hit with a problem, and the next thing you know, our prayer time becomes give God advice time. And so it's, Lord, I need you to do this and this and this. Listen to this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Because if we tack on in Jesus' name at the end, we know that's the magic formula for the Lord to just like, woo, got your, I'm gonna give you what you want. But how many of you guys know that God is not in the business of giving us what we want? Right, can you see the little toddler? Can you see the little toddler, you know, sucking his or her thumb with the blankie? I want, I want, I want, right? Does any parent ever give that kid what he or she wants? I hope not. Don't spoil your kids. They need to grow up. And so in Jesus' name, listen, we've we've mistranslated this. We misinterpreted this whole thing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I don't have time to do the whole study, but it means at least two things. Number one, it means praying in the authority of Jesus going to the Father in one name, in one name only, because there's only one way that you can get to God, and that's through Jesus. No one else shed their blood on a cross for the sins of mankind 2,000 years ago. Whether people think that's narrow-minded or not, I think it's an act of love, and I think he's worthy of our praise, that he's the only one who died, so he's the only only one to heaven. And so in Jesus, Name means praying in the authority of Jesus' name, but then it also means praying according to the will of Jesus, right? Because, let me give you a verse, 1 John 5, 14. 1 John 5, 14 says that when we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know if he hears us, we have the petitions that we ask of him. 
And so in Jesus' name is synonymous with this is Jesus' will, okay? And so by way of review, when faced with a problem, we should never focus on the problem. We should never look to human resources first. As much as it hurts, we should never avoid the issue. And then we should never tell the Lord what to do. This is how the disciples responded. And so how should we respond? Just the opposite. It's not brain surgery, this is easy. So when faced with a problem, we should number one, focus on who? The Lord. Because here's what I know. The greater your view of God, the smaller your problems become. Did you hear that? Right, when we have a little tiny view of God, no wonder our problems are so big. But when we're in the word, when we're in prayer, when we're coming into the fellowship of believers, when we're in our Calvary group during the week, our view of God is getting larger and larger. God's not getting any larger. He's as large as he'll always be. He's omniscient. He fills the universe. But our view of God gets larger and larger and larger. And the larger our view becomes of God, the smaller our problems actually become. And so we gotta focus on the Lord. And one of the ways that we do this is through prayer. Check out what Paul said. He said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about how many things? Everything. Everything. Your father wants to hear you. Talk to him about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done and then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. Love that. That's what Paul said, look at what Peter said. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. And so when you and I face a problem, and we will, and probably today, (laughs) just being real, but when we face a problem, we have a choice. We can think about the problem and obsess about the problem and be filled with anxiety, or we can think about the Lord and focus on the Lord and cast all our cares on the one who loves us and be filled with his supernatural peace. And he'll do that. He'll give you peace in the midst of the storm. He may not deliver you from the storm, but he'll certainly be with you in the storm. The second way we should respond to a problem is we should always look to his power and resources. What's the word? First. I'm not not dissing human resources at all. What I'm saying is where do you look first? And so of course the apostles, you know the story, they looked first to their resources. They pulled out the calculator. It didn't add up. And I'm just wondering that if they didn't pull out the calculator, if they would have said no to that, and they would have made a choice, listen to this, to remember everything Jesus had done from Mark 1 to Mark 6. Can you imagine what a different picture it would have been? Can you imagine if they're out in the remote area near the area of Bethsaida on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, and they see... 10,000 hungry people, and they're, they're facing a problem because the sun's going down and everybody um, needs food. And can you imagine if they would have started saying, hey, Peter, hey, do you remember when Jesus healed your mother-in-law when she had that fever? Yeah, and, and she made us all lunch, hint, hint. Hey, James, do you remember when, when Jesus touched the guy with leprosy? Yeah, and his... 
his skin was as smooth as a baby's bottom. That was awesome. Hey, John, do you remember that paralyzed guy and his friends lowered him down from the ceiling and the Lord healed him? Yeah, he got up, picked up his mat and walked out. It was amazing. Hey, guys, do you remember when Jesus calmed the storm and cast the demons into the pigs and healed the woman with the issue of blood? and raised Jairus' daughter. Yeah, we remember that, that was awesome. And if, it's a big if, if they would have chosen to remember what Jesus had done in the past, they would have had the faith to believe what Jesus can do in the future, which is feed 10,000 people. This is what the Lord wanted them to do. When he said, you give them something to eat, he wanted them to remember everything that he had already done and realize that he can do it again. How many of you guys believe God's still in the miracle business today? He still does supernatural things. But we wanna run the church like a business and we wanna try to figure it all out on the calculator. And we put all of our faith in us instead of in what the Lord can do. So if you're facing a challenge in your life, don't pull out the calculator, don't figure it out on your, don't do that first, you can do that later. Don't do that first. The first thing you and I need to do is we, we need to remind ourselves of what Jesus has already done in the past and then he'll give you faith to believe what he can do in the future. And this reminds me of our Christian school. Our Christian school is not a problem, it's a blessing. But there, it's a challenge though when we look at what we're trusting God to do. We're trusting God for 30% of the down payment before we break ground over there and build. And those of you who are new, um, you don't know this, but we're gonna build a Christian school by faith across the street. And right now we're in a capital campaign. I know it's been kind of quiet lately. We'll ramp things more up in the fall, but we're in a capital campaign and we're raising money uh, to be able to pay the down payment, to break ground. And here's what I know. Once you break ground, because I've already talked to the experts, it takes 12 to 15 months to build. Now, school starts in what month every single year? August. And can't start in January. It's always gotta be in August. And so now, we're looking for the Lord to supply this money. And we're, we're well, way over 400,000. And we haven't updated this month because uh, Pastor Lee was, was away, but he'll, he'll take care of it this week. But we're way over $400,000. But, but what I'm saying though, is we got between now and May 1st to raise the down payment because 15 months after that, school's gonna start in the fall of 2020. Now, is that a problem? No, it's not a problem, it's a blessing, but it is a challenge of faith. And do you know, do you know how I know that the Lord is gonna do this? Because we started this church, ladies and gentlemen, with six families. And look at what the Lord has done. If the Lord's done that, if he's done that, he can do that. So we just need to trust him. And if you're not praying about it, please start including the school in your prayers every day. And if you'd like to give a gift, you can do that online. The third way we should respond to a problem is embrace it. Now, this is gonna be the most difficult part of the sermon because most of us here are non-confrontational people. Now, I'm not gonna ask the ones who are confrontational, those of you who like confrontation, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> I, I've, I've, 
I know who you are, okay? All right, and so for the rest of us, all right, who like to avoid things, God's calling us to embrace the problem. There's a phrase out there in the corporate world, it's called eat the frog. Some people think it's originated with Mark Twain. We're not sure about that, but in the corporate world, eat the frog means, um, you know, by the way, how many of you guys like, like big, fat, slimy frogs? Yeah, we have two hands. We had one hand last night. Two people like frog legs here tonight, but most of us don't like it. But see, here's the thing. In our jobs, that big, fat, slimy frog is looking at us, sitting on our desk every single morning. It's that biggest project that we have to do, but we keep putting it off, putting it off, procrastinating. And so in the corporate world, they say, just eat the frog, (laughs) just do it. And what I'm saying to you concerning your problem is just eat the frog. Don't avoid it, embrace it. And so this is what what the disciples did not do. They said, look at this crowd, it's a headache, send them away. And the Lord knew that if they would just face their problem, he could use that problem to grow them and mature them spiritually and emotionally. And so he made them face their problem. He said, I'm not gonna like make, wave my magic wand here and send all these people away. You give them something to eat. You see that? Face, face, face your problem. Now, I understand there's timing issues and you gotta pray and you gotta wait on the Lord to deal with that problem, but hey, don't just keep putting it off. Face the problem. Check out what James says about troubles. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? And some people I know when they've read this, they're thinking, what is James smoking here, right? (laughs) Trouble and joy, those don't go together. But he says, when troubles come your way, when problems come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, and this is what Jesus is doing with the disciples, he's testing their faith. When your faith is tested, Your endurance, say the word endurance. Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. In other words, don't avoid the problem. In other words, don't avoid the trouble. In other words, eat the frog. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so when problems and troubles come our way, instead of avoiding them, we need to embrace them. We should actually consider these troubles an opportunity for great joy. Why? Because God is at work. God is at work behind the scenes. He's using the trouble to strengthen your endurance with the goal of making you perfect. Now, what does the word perfect mean? You gotta understand the Greek word. That's why I rely on guys like John MacArthur because I got a D in Greek in Bible college. Okay, so John MacArthur says the word perfect is from teleos, which does not connote moral or spiritual perfection or sinlessness, but rather refers to that which is fully developed. Say fully developed. Okay, so that's what the word in the Greek, the biblical word perfect means, fully developed. The bottom line is that God wants all of us, me included, to just grow 
up. And he uses problems and he uses troubles to help that process. Did you know in Joseph's life in Genesis, did you know that that young man, he had to endure 13 years of problems and troubles before he was ready to become all God wanted him to become? He had to endure 13 years of being thrown into a pit by his big brothers who hated him, by being sold into slavery. What a bummer. Being falsely accused of rape. Here's a guy who's got impeccable integrity and some lion woman says he raped me and he didn't rape her. And guess what? He's thrown in prison and he's forgotten in prison. 13 years of heartache and problems and trouble before he was ready to become Egypt's prime minister and be used by God in a great way. Acts 14, 22 is true. We must suffer many hardships before we enter the kingdom of God. It's all part of the process of making us more like Jesus. Fourth way to handle problems, to respond the right way to problems is ask God for wisdom. Okay, again, this is exactly the opposite of what the disciples did. They went and gave Jesus advice. What we need to do is not tell what the Lord what to do. What we need to do is just ask him for wisdom. This is what the disciples should have done. They, they should have gone to the Lord with humility, not a spirit of arrogance, hey, Lord, you do this, but a, a spirit of humility and said, Lord, we don't know what to do. All these people are hungry. The sun's going down. What do you think? Lord, would you give us wisdom? The Lord would have honored that. And so look at what James says about how to get wisdom. If you need wisdom, ask. Everybody say ask. <laughs> okay, this is the, one of those prayers you can say in Jesus' name. This is God's will for you. If any of you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And so when, when Solomon, um, when, when his dad David died and he took over the throne, do you know how he got wisdom? A, a, a prayer. He goes to the Lord and instead of asking for the lives of his enemies or for riches or for long life, he asks, listen to this, he asks for an understanding heart, he asks for wisdom, and he asks for discernment. That's what we need to be asking the Lord for. God, give me an understanding heart. God, give me wisdom. God, give me discernment. And the Lord did it. He showed up and he made Solomon the wisest man on the earth. Why? Because he didn't tell the Lord what to do. He went to the Lord in humility. And we can get wisdom as well. Through prayer, we can get wisdom a second way through his word. And so man, when we're in the word of God, reading it, and then during the day, heeding it, not just reading it, but read and heed, when we're doing that, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, we grow in wisdom, and the next thing you know, we're better equipped to solve life's problems. Does this make sense to you guys? And so let's find out the rest of the story. Look at verse 38. 
And so even though the disciples dropped the ball and did not respond the way they should have responded, the Lord, because he is a gracious God, still showed up in a miraculous way. Look at verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. How many people? Conservatively, 10,000 people. So this took hours. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate. Can you believe this? They all ate. And they were satisfied. And so the Lord takes the five loaves and the two fish and he looks up to heaven and he pronounces the blessing and then he breaks the bread, he gives it to his disciples and that's when the miracle occurred. And the disciples, they can't believe their eyes. Now they should have believed this because of everything he had already done between Mark chapter one and Mark chapter six. But all of a sudden the bread and the fish began to multiply and the Lord's given them more and more food and now the apostles are waiters servants, and I can see them, because I like to picture the Bible, I can see them running from the Lord to the people, back to the Lord, and as they're doing this, you know they were laughing, you know that their eyes were as big as saucers, because they're saying, it just keeps multiplying, until everybody ate, some 10,000 people, and God is an awesome God. And when dinner was over, look at verse 43. And they took up how many baskets? Full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, same number in all four gospels. Why did they pick up 12 baskets? What do you guys think? There's 12 apostles. See that little touch of compassion the Lord gives to the apostles? Hey, I love you guys so much. 10,000 people just ate, but you guys each have a basket for yourself. Not 11, 12. There was even a basket for Judas. That's pretty amazing. The heart and the love and compassion and grace of Jesus. And there wasn't 13. He didn't do a basket for himself. And so by way of review, what should we do when it's complicated? Okay, so I want you guys to get this because this will help you starting probably today, if not today, this week. All right, don't focus on the problem, focus on the Lord. Just take that thought captive. Don't let it become this big thing that causes anxiety, irritability, discouragement in your life. Focus on the Lord. Two, Look to his power and resources first. You can look to other resources later, but go to him first in prayer and remind yourself of how awesome he is and what he can do because God still shows up in supernatural ways today. Number three, embrace the problem. Don't run from it, don't avoid it, confront it. Pray about God's timing because you wanna do it in God's timing with the right attitude. But some of you guys have a work issue and Monday's coming and I wanna encourage you to do, deal with it tomorrow. 
And then number four, ask him for wisdom. Don't ever tell God what to do. He knows a lot more than we do. Ask him for wisdom and he'll give it to you through prayer and through the word. When we do these things, God will intervene and he may show up in an incredibly awesome way and blow our minds in the supernatural, amen?